0: We got to keep this going once again, everyone, and... people said? Amen. Be seated, please. Can you take that with you? Please, Thanks. Well, if you remember back to school days, there were some dreaded words that we heard at times as we sat in our desks. The teacher would walk in and she would say, okay, I hope you did your homework because today we are having a pop quiz. You remember those moments? And like the anxiety that would come over you and the fear of, did I do what I was supposed to do? Did I do my reading? Did I I study? Or did I just put it off and hope that we wouldn't have one of these? And the anxiety that comes with it gets your emotions going, and it's sometimes tough in those moments to focus. So we were assigned my junior year a book that we were supposed to read. It was called The Scarlet Letter. And this great novel, that has been read by so many, was one that I just didn't really have time to fit into my schedule. But luckily for me in 1995, Hollywood hooked me up. (laughs) They made a full-length motion picture called The Scarlet Letter, based on the book. And so I had this great idea on the way home from football practice. There was what we called back in the day, blockbuster video. And and for those of you under the age of probably 25, it was this red box that was like a thousand times the size of a red box that you could actually go inside. And you pulled the movie off the shelf, And if the movie wasn't there, guess what? You couldn't watch it. And so I went in, and there was the VHS cassette tape of the Scarlet Letter. And so I took it home, and I watched it, and I came back for class the next day ready to go. And we did have a quiz. But there's a funny thing about the movie. You see, the book is written, and it ends tragically, and Hollywood didn't think the tragic ending was quite the pretty picture that they needed to paint. And so Hester Prynne and Reverend Dimsdale end up together happily ever after, like Hollywood would do. Now, if you've ever read the book... You know, that's not the ending. Because in the end, Reverend Dimmesdale dies. <laughs> and I got to tell you, that will mess you up on a pop quiz. <laughs> Especially when it's short answer and essay. And so obviously, it did not go as expected. I know some of you are looking like, shame on you for not reading the book. Don't lie. I think everyone's been there where you've read the movie or done cliff notes or spark notes and taken the shortcut, and somehow it didn't quite work out like you thought it would. There's something about those tests that cause anxiety, though. And they cause us to question and wonder if we've done enough, if we've answered the questions right, if we know what we're supposed to know. See, the good thing in school is the teacher will give you the lesson and they'll teach you what you need to learn and then they will test you on what you know. There is a man who comes up to Jesus and it says that he is wanting to test Jesus and Jesus turns the test around on him. He asks Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And the, Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? You know this. You're an expert in the law. You know the law backwards and forwards. What do you have to do? And Jesus tells, or the man tells Jesus, well, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And it's the greatest commandment. I mean, that, is that right, Jesus? G- and Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. I mean, pretty, pretty simple. And, and we know the story. I mean, whether you've grown up in church or not, you've heard the story of the good Samaritan. And so this man wants to kind of push things and justify himself. There's this kind of sense of pride. Well, this is who I am, and I know the law, and Jesus is kind of feeding that ego now, telling me that I I got it right. I, I showed up, and I've had the lesson since I was a little kid, and I got the answer right. But he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus this question. Jesus, who is my neighbor? And I'm sure as he's asking the question, he knows exactly what Jesus is going to say. Well, you know, your neighbor is the person who sits next to you in synagogue. They're the person who loves and fears God like you do. It's the person who knows Scripture as well as you do. It's those good God-fearing Jews. They're your neighbors. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus tells this story. And it's a story that would probably be, in the details, very, very familiar to the expert in the law. He says there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the trip... and. I know this story. That that road from Jerusalem to Jericho, we travel it all the time. I've been there. And so Jesus said, yeah, there's this man, who's going down this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way he falls into the hands of robbers, and he's stripped of his clothes, he's beaten, and he's left to die. It's terrible. And then there is... A priest who's walking down the road and he sees the man lying on the side of the road, beaten, bruised, bloody, left to die. He sees him and he walks by on the other side. Of course, he does. He's a priest. And we can throw rocks and stones and say, how awful is it? But there are some laws that are in place for situations just like this. Because there were some laws that the priests had that other people did not have. One of those laws had to do with coming in contact with blood. And so the priest, while we look at him and say, well, how could you do that? How could you not help? Could have had compassion and pity and tears and seen this man and said, I would love to help you, but I am keeping the law. And so I can't. And he passes by on the other side. And then there was a Levite. And he comes up to the man, and he follows the same path as the priest did. He sees him, and he passes by on the other side. Now, I could be wrong. He might not have cared. But the law does say that you can't come in contact with this person. And so he walks by on the other side. And then comes a Samaritan. And if you don't know your history, a Samaritan is someone who when the Jews were displaced, they intermarried and they formed this new kind of half-breed, these Samaritans. And so Jews looked down on them for basically selling out on their country. And they were despised. But it's the Samaritan who's walking by, who sees the man bruised, beaten, and hurting. And stops and takes pity on him. And then Jesus asks the question. Says, Hey, pop quiz. You've had the lessons, you know what the law says. You know the story that I'm telling? Here's a question Which one was a neighbor to the man? A, the Levite, B, the priest, C, the Samaritan. And his answer is kind of revealing. Because his answer is not, well, it was the Samaritan. His answer is, it was the one who took pity on him. See, it's interesting in this story that a man who's called to serve God, who has the calling of Abraham to be a blessing to this world, cannot see past the letter of the law and see the intent of the law. That the reason I gave you this law was to set you apart so that you would be different from every other people on this earth that I'm going to set you apart and you're going to be different and your purpose here is not for your own good, but it's to bless the world. Now you go and do likewise. You see, we've already learned the lesson. We've heard the Good Samaritan story for years and years, whether you've grown up in church or not, and we know how it ends. We know the question Jesus asks. And we can look with a little bit of pride, saying, well, well, how could they miss this? And here's the thing. I think the expert in the law, as he's telling the story, is probably sitting here, yeah, he passes by. He he has to. That's the law. Well, of course the priest passes by. He has to. It's the law. But then when the Samaritan comes up. See, you wouldn't expect that from the Samaritan. And you definitely wouldn't call them your neighbor. That's not the neighbor I'm thinking of, Jesus. I'm thinking of the neighbor who looks like me and acts like me and talks like me and goes to synagogue where I go to synagogue and does the things that I do and is reverent like I am. That's my neighbor. And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's the one who had pity. On him. See, the, the, here's the thing. In our life, we will have hundreds and probably thousands of these little pop quizzes. And the great thing in school is they're supposed to teach you the lesson and then give you the test. And my friend Chuck Munoz says, No, life is different. It's not. In life, that you get the lesson, and then you get the test. In life, you get the test, and then you learn the lesson on the back side of it. And my hunch is that you will fail more tests than you pass. The question, though, is will you learn a lesson from the tests that you fail so that you're prepared for the next one. How many times have you been running late to church and seen someone who needed help and you thought, man, I've got to get there. I've got stuff i got to do. But we don't relate to that story because that happened thousands of years ago. I wonder how often our busyness keeps us from showing compassion. And I was thinking about this. There's some reasons that we fail tests. I was thinking back to my school days. I think one of the biggest reasons I failed tests was knowledge. Knowledge. There was also fear, and then focus. ADD. Anyone else say? Well, I, I don't know that I had ADD, other than I was just a, a guy. There's this, this focus problem. Test anxiety. You know, you get the test, and this is the TASS. What, what do we call it? We call it the Teams test, or what, I don't know what it was. It's changed like 18 times since last year. Well, now it's the star, but when I took it, it was Teams and TASS, I think. And, and you get this test, especially when you were older, and it's like, hey, if you don't pass this test, you don't graduate high school. That creates a little bit of anxiety, doesn't it? Like, th- that's a big deal. I mean, my kids are, are third grade and fifth grade, and you gotta pass the test, you gotta pass the test, you gotta pass the test. You don't know, pass the test, you don't know, go to the next grade. We have to tell our kids, like, hey, just, you're gonna, you're gonna go to the next grade. It's okay. Just, just relax. And I think they probably come in this order in the classroom a lack of knowledge, a lack of focus, and then fear. But I think in life, the order might be reversed. Like like the reason that we fail most of our tests in life, I think probably the biggest reason is fear. Knowing what we need to do. Knowing how we need to respond and being afraid to do it. And then there's the focus thing. There's the focus thing, because we are so busy, and our minds are so scattered, and we're going in so many different directions, this whole focus on Jesus thing gets kind of difficult sometimes. And I would say our bigger problem is not our head and not our knowledge, but our heart. And where it's focused, it's heart, not head. And I think the the smallest one or the least of those is probably knowledge. See, I I think that we probably know what we're supposed to do a lot of the time. But our struggle comes in making sure we get the order right. See, that was the constant question they would ask the rabbis. Rabbi, what's the most important command? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what comes next? Well, I, I, probably the Sabbath comes next. Or, or, or probably the, the ceremony of hand washing. And there were all these questions like, how do you order the law? Which one comes next? Let's say your donkey falls in a hole on the Sabbath. What should you do? You see, Jesus is telling them, here is the greatest command. You're you're right in answering that. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, you can't really separate it from that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Give to the one who's in need. Take pity on those who you need to take pity. And it doesn't mean just feel sorry for them. It means actually do something. See, there's some lessons that we learn along the way. And the good news is the test that you failed, you will probably have again. The question is, did you learn the lesson the first time that is preparing you for the next one? See, I found in life there are some things that I went through when I was younger that at the time I thought it was the most incredibly difficult thing to ever experience. And I don't know how in the moment that I'm going to make it through, and I do, and on the other side, something else happens, and I'm now in a place that I'm prepared to handle this because of what I went through before. But did you learn the lesson in the last test that's prepared you for the next one, theologian Richard Rohr says that it's in falling down we learn almost everything that matters spiritually. It's in falling down that we learn almost everything that matters spiritually. Jesus is preparing for his death, and he gathers his disciples around him and he sits down to have this meal and as he starts explaining the meal and what the cup is and what the bread is, there's this argument that ensues. It says in Luke 22, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them is to be considered the greatest. Now, now, I I don't know if you've ever caught that before, They're they're having Passover with Jesus. And he's explaining, here's the cup, and here's what it's going to represent, and here's the bread, and here's what it's going to represent, and here's the offering. No, no, joke. Sorry. (laughs) Here's the cup, and here's what it's going to represent. Here's the bread, here's what it's going to represent. And they're like, okay, yeah, great, great. Now, Jesus, who's the greatest among us? Like, think about this. Here's the supper here's what it represents, I'm going to die. Who's the greatest among us? Is it me or him? And this argument ensues. And Peter is the one that Jesus calls out towards the end of it, and he says, Peter replies, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison. And even death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Deny three times that you know me. See, I'm I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced Peter was ready for that test. And I'm convinced he was ready to die for Jesus. Jesus. Because when you find them in the garden, it's Peter that pulls out the sword. It's Peter that's protecting Jesus. And it's interesting that Jesus stops him and says, Whoa, 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 whoa. You remember all these lessons I've been trying to teach you? Here's the correct answer to this test Peter, put away your sword and I think Peter is taken back. Like, I was ready to die fighting for you. And Jesus says to him, well, the battle that we're fixing to fight looks different than that. The the battle we're going to fight is going to end on a cross with my arms outstretched. With me hanging and dying. That that's where this battle is going to go. Peter, put away your sword. And I think Peter is so confused as he goes into the courtyard and he's thinking, Well, I'm I know I'm supposed to do something, and then comes the fear. You were with this man. I don't know him. No, surely you, you were this man's disciple. I've never seen him before. And there are three times Jesus is denied by Peter. And, and I think you could say, well, Peter, you failed the test. But I think the test that he failed It's preparing him for the next one. As they're walking along the sea, he says, Peter, do you love me? Oh, yeah, you you know everything. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And feed my lambs. And then again, feed my sheep. wonder if the lessons that Peter learned in failing the last test are what prepared him to start this movement of people. This eleven small group of men that you look back throughout human history And the reason we gather this morning is because they believed with everything they were that Jesus was Messiah. And that they, because of Him, could change the world. So you're going to fail the tests. I I can promise you You will respond out of anger and you will let it get the best of you when you know you should have kept your composure. You will make a commitment that you're not going to go back to those websites again and you will find yourself there again. You will be in a hurry and you will pass someone who is deeply in need because you are too busy to stop. But the question is, on the other side, are you learning the lesson from the failed test that's preparing you to be ready for the next one? Because it's in falling down that we learn everything that matters to us spiritually. And God's mercy is just as much seen as we, when we fall as it is in the recovery from the fall. Because in the fall, we are learning, and we are growing, and we are getting ourselves, or God is getting us to a place that we would have never been had we not fallen in the first place. But then it's the grace to come back and know, stay on this mission. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. See, thankfully, this journey as we follow Jesus is more about persistence than it is perfection. Because you will get it wrong, I promise you. And it's not a question of whether or not you will fail. The grace, the mercy of Jesus will cover you in your failures and grow you to a place where you can be his disciple. He is growing you, he is moving you, not through your successes but through your failures. And he can use broken people because that's what all of us are. And he became like us, broken and bruised, to give us life. And to say that I can still use things that have been broken because God is putting all these things back together. Now, here's the challenge as we gather with one another, we gather in the midst of imperfection, we gather in the midst of people failing. And my guess is there are people in this room that have failed you. That haven't held up to their end of the bargain. Who haven't done what they said they were going to do. That have hurt you in some way. Maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally. But remember, we are on this journey together. And we have to give one another the grace to fail. We have to give one another the grace to get it wrong. I have to give my kids the grace of messing up and of failing and of falling. And that's hard to do because everything within me wants me to hold them up and protect them. But it's in the falling that they learn what matters. And it's in the falling that we learn to exhibit and give grace as Jesus did to us, to one another. So my guess is, tomorrow you're going to have a pop quiz. Something unexpected is going to happen. And you may respond like Jesus would. And you may not. But the question on this journey is did you learn from the failure so that it moves you to a new place in this journey following Messiah? Father, today, we ask you to take all of our imperfections take all of our failures and Father help us learn from them to grow in them and Father that that knowledge and focus and fear are so many times the enemy but Father they're Just weapons of a greater enemy. Of the Satan. Who's trying to rule and reign in this world. And Father, to do things that he does not have the power to do. And so Father, we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Protect us. Keep us from the evil one. And, Father, as we fall, pick us back up. Dust us off. Give us the grace to continue. Not in our perfection, but, Father, simply in yours. That we today may be more like Jesus than we were the day before. And, Father, I think most importantly, give us the grace with one another that as we fail, we are able to forgive. That as people fail us, we are able to let go and not hold grudges. But Father, in this journey, that we would learn together as we seek to become more like you. And Father, we know that that task, to be more like you, is something we grow in every single day. And Father, the journey to be perfect as you are perfect seems impossible. Father, it is. And so, Father, we simply submit to you in our imperfections and allow you to fill us with yours. So, Father, that we are made perfect by the blood of Jesus and in all our failures. Father, forgive us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his gift of life, and we pray this in his name. Amen. If you've never given your life to Christ, we offer you this opportunity today. Come be washed in the blood of the Lamb. And if you need prayers, we're going to have ministry staff. We're going to have shepherds around this auditorium. We would love to just simply put a hand over around your your shoulder, um, pray for you, encourage you, however we could. Um, But whatever you need, come while we stand and sing. Awesome power, boundless grace, none can fathom all your ways, truth and love.